Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. In January of 2020, Bloomberg City Lab published an article about a new study from Pittsburgh researchers naming the best and worst cities for Black women. Among cities with at least 100,000 Black women, Cleveland came in dead last in terms of livability. In this city with a nearly 50% Black population, this news drops like a bomb. And reactions were mixed. Do you think Cleveland is really the worst for Black women? And what do you say? Uh, I say... It depends on the person uh, I ask. When I dropped it in one of my Black girl group chats, the emojis were just eye rolls. I'm not surprised. Not even a little. It's, it's heartbreaking and also embarrassing. Is it like this everywhere? Is it me? <laughs> like This city will make or break you. City of Black women that are looking around at their outcomes, their future, their past, and saying, this city makes me anxious. If anybody's out there listening in Cleveland, please get out. On Living for We, we talk to Cleveland's Black women from all walks of life, from the CEO of one of our major healthcare systems to self-starting entrepreneurs, judges, lawyers, doctors, artists, students, and mothers who've experienced loss. We share stories from these women as change makers and architects of their own futures, celebrating their victories, challenges, and personal growth along the way. So is it really true what they say? Is Cleveland deserving of the least livable title? And what can we do to make lasting improvements for Black women in our city? I'm Marlene Harris-Taylor, and this is Living for We, a project of connecting the dots between race and health from IdeaStream Public Media. What do I like most about Judy? <laughs> Let me count the ways. Judy is a genuinely good and honest person. She believes strongly in doing good things for all people, as evidenced by what she carries in her purse, which is everything, hand cleaner, bandages, cough medicine, suntan lotion, ibuprofen. You want it? Likely, Judy has it. Judy is beautiful. She's fine. She has beautiful brown eyes and a warm smile, soft skin to the touch, and a flowing salt and pepper mane, giving her an air of royalty. I think she's just ravishing. Wow. It's not often we get to hear Black men wax poetic about their wives, girlfriends, and partners, but it's a beautiful sound, isn't it? We know that when Cleveland received the least livable label, researchers didn't consider the love lives of Black women. But we thought, how can we explore what it's like living here without considering love? On this episode of Living for We, we're painting a portrait of Black love and the power it holds to change lives. That was Stephen Miles you just heard expressing himself so eloquently about his wife, Judy. You may remember my friend Judy, a local attorney, from an earlier episode on healthcare. She had a near-death experience a few years back, and Stephen was by her side the whole time. I, I consider myself blessed in that way, that 
everything I've been through, I'm still here. And we have faced a lot of issues, but, you know, my husband and I were able to weather everything. And if I didn't have that, what would have happened to me? Steve is Judy's rock, and boy, does he love her. She is my biblical help meet from Genesis, from Genesis, yes, 2.18. She fills my gaps, which are many, and she completes me. She's my best friend. She'll come in from work, for instance, and, uh, you know, I'll make her an Epsom salt bath, you know, with candles and everything, make it nice and comfortable for her. I'll do anything for my wife. There's no other person that I'd rather do things for more than my Judy. We have another beautiful Black love story to share. Our former guest, Ramat Wiley, took a while to find her passion. She went through several career changes, and her husband, McKinley, was there supporting her all the way. He encouraged her to follow her dream of attending culinary school. And when COVID hit, she decided to start a new business creating unique spices, and he stepped up again. This is a long way from an idea to a business. Yeah. How'd that happen? A lot of internet research <laughs> and asking the questions uh, to people who you know have answers and just finding, it was a lot of trial and error, honestly, finding out people who were really willing to help you without wanting something back from you, like a piece of something. How did you finance it? My husband gave me $300. <laughs> $300? $300 is what I started uh, doing Spice Company with. a dream. <laughs> I had three. He's like, here, babe, this is all you. Go, <laughs> go for it. Are you like, that, <laughs> But no, I saved up a few dollars and I had the support of his family as well. What I love most about Ramad is really just her smile. I also love her work ethic and really just her overall intellect. Um, she's super intelligent. And I also love her artistic passion for food, horticulture. She has the green thumb and she loves playing in the dirt. I love that about her. Yeah, she's, she's really dope like that. Her love language is acts of service. So one of the main ways I try to show that I love her is through being available, showing up for her, checking in on her periodically. I also, I send random texts to her just saying, hey, or that I love you. That's really it, you know, just making quality time for her and um, prioritizing her and her needs, listening, you know, simple stuff. Every couple is looking for the kind of love that Judy and Steve and Ramat and McKinley have in their marriages. But it's not always easy for professional Black women to find someone who's not intimidated by their success. Sisters, you know what I mean. It's hard for a city to be livable for you if you can't find love there when you're smart, Black, beautiful, and fierce. Finding the right man in Cleveland can be a challenge. Just ask our former guest, Cleveland Housing Court Judge Monet Scott. When she arrived in Cleveland to attend law school, fresh from a much bigger city with a larger pool of educated Black men to choose from, she thought dating would continue to be a breeze. But, well, let's just let her tell the story. 
my 20s was active dating, you know, unapologetically dating. Hey, um, you're in your 20s. That's what your 20s are for. Right. I, I don't ever remember going to a club in Atlanta and buying my own drink. I don't think I ever had to. But here, it was polar opposite. I'm like, these guys don't buy drinks and... And then they want to have a conversation with you. And I'm like, you better ask me what I'm drinking. <laughs> like, I don't do this little freak. Listen, this makeup and this look takes a minute to get together. And the guys I were meeting, they were staying with their mom and they were driving what I call a hoopty. Oh, gosh. Staying with I'm their mom. Like, Red flag. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, everybody <laughs> I was meeting, I was just like, what's happening with this day scene up here? I just eventually just stopped telling people that I was in law school. They would get really intimidated by it. Mm -hmm. And so I remember when I met my ex, I told him I worked at the Kmart that was down there in Warrensville. And he was like, I go there all the time. I never see you. And I was like, um, so I work in accounting. <laughs> he said, why are you up here from Atlanta? And he has a preference for Southern women. Okay. So he was trying to figure it out. Why is this person here from Atlanta yeah. to come and work at Kmart? It's not computing. I'm like stress and he calls and I said hey I gotta call you back I gotta finish this brief and it then I kind of caught out, myself huh? and I was just like let me call you right back and he said okay so how yeah, well, how I, did you finally tell him yeah I did tell him yeah he said well why wouldn't you say anything and I said I just didn't want to I didn't want to go through this whole feel intimidated and he was like no that's a very good thing so he was really supportive of it so after a while, Monet finally found a guy in Cleveland that didn't run away when he found out she was a future lawyer. But many women feel the same pressure to minimize their accomplishments, and that's getting harder to do. According to the American Association of University Women, of all Black students in higher ed, Black women get about 64% of bachelor's degrees, some 71% of master's degrees, and nearly 66% of doctoral, medical, and dental degrees. So some are slaying in higher ed, but sometimes struggling to find Black men to share those accomplishments with. Maybe the solution is that Black women should start to consider dating and marrying other men, maybe even non-Black men. Now, you know, we couldn't talk about Black women and dating without talking about why some of us hesitate to date outside the Black community. Is interracial dating still taboo for us? Chi-Chi and Kimra, one of our partners from Enlightened Solutions, has been there before. Girl, I, my friends laughed at me so much because my I was on Hinge for about a month and it was horrible. It was horrible. And the only matches I got were with white men. And I was like, what is wrong with me? <laughs> what am I putting off into the atmosphere? And that's not to say that I, didn't, I hadn't dated white men before. I absolutely had. But I was like, mm, girl, it's not for me for right now. now. I know it's baked in history, right? We yeah. have this, we feel this obligation that we must support Black men. Yeah. But they don't always feel that same sense of obligation that they must date Black women. Do you remember our former guest, 94-year-old Arnell Hendricks? She's a widow now, but she had a long marriage to her husband, Lindell Sr. She described their marriage as very complicated. 
We met at church, but uh, he liked a lot of women. I mean, he liked women. That was his problem. He liked women. And uh, he had families that encouraged that. Mm. So, you know, it was really encouraging for him to brag about what he'd done and where he'd been and, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was really hard with me. It was me. tough. Mm-hmm. But you hung in there? I did. How long were you guys married? Like 50-something years. Miss Arnell and her husband, Lindell, had two children together. As she was reflecting on the study that found Cleveland to be the worst place for Black women, she agrees. She says it's hard out here for us looking for love. But she's happy her granddaughter has beaten the odds. My granddaughter is a white guy for her friend. They're supposed to be getting married. And she was telling me about him. And she said, you know what? He's white. I said, does he have a father that's single? I'll take his father. Because <laughs> he seemed to be a very nice, seemed to be a very nice man. He's like, I said, let me meet the father. I'll meet the father. You get the father, so that's okay. <laughs> Now, shouldn't you have been asking for the grandfather? Wouldn't the father be a little young for you? I don't think I want no 90-year-old man. I don't. You don't want to be bothered? Not but a 90-year-old man. <laughs> <laughs> so you're okay with your granddaughter oh, having yeah. an interracial ra- oh, relationship? Yes. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. We knew we had to consult our girl and podcast therapist, Dr. Angela Neal Barnett, on this one about the complicated feelings some Black women have about dating non-Black men. Well, it is hard because, I mean, it it is hard because we think about what we truly want and we want to raise uh, healthy Black families and be with uh, Black men and uplift the race. And uplift Black men. And uplift the Black men. Because that's what we've been taught that. Yeah. I think we've internalized that, that in some ways we are being traitors by dating men who are not Black. We're traitors to Black men. They need us. How can Black women, of all people, abandon them? When I was a young psychologist, I lived in Chicago. Many of the Black women's attitude was this. I can do bad all by myself. So you've got this, we, they need us to uplift the race, all those kinds of things. We need to help them. So you get a variety of thinking around this. But for those of us who do internalize it, then it becomes a bit more, it well, becomes more difficult. For some successful Black women, even when they think they found Mr. Right, things can go terribly wrong. For example, our very accomplished former guest, Arian Kirkpatrick, CEO of a thriving construction company and a medical marijuana business, is a luminous, confident, successful Black woman with an ever-growing list of accolades. But she hasn't always felt so confident. In the past, she dimmed her own light and put her ambitions on hold for the sake of a toxic marriage. Well, there was a blur in my life at one time where I was married in a bad marriage for sure and had children. I'll just say that was about a good three, four years that Arian wasn't Arian. And so, it was just, you know, it's just some a lot of restructuring, a lot of building back who I was, building my confidence back up. Terrible, terrible, terrible marriage. So we've I've grown from that. That was the time where I wasn't confident and was accepting the abuse 
and making it seem like it was my fault. And, you know, that's that's really, um, I appreciate you sharing that because for so many women to think about a person like you with all this talent, with all this confidence, starting businesses, then, you know, to be in a relationship like that and to your point, accepting of it for a while, mm-hmm. for us to see that anybody can can get caught up in that, right? Because if somebody like you can get caught up in that. Oh, most definitely. What about a woman who doesn't have as much confidence, you know, and doesn't have as much resources or help behind her? It's really tough. So it's something that women, you know, that we all can share and have empathy about. I literally had to start over. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I left everything. Gosh, I'm just hearing so many lessons in your life for so many of us women. Oh, yeah. You know, you you can start over. You You, can start over. You can start over. I had nothing. People know when you're going through abuse. I remember we went to the dog pound to go adopt the dog. And I really remember the lady looking and I had a black eye. And she said, oh, we can't give you the dog. And she said, what? And you fill out the form, are you an abusive room? No, 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 no. And I said, oh, oh, no, I just bumped into a wall. And I said it so naturally. And so it was just like, wow, okay. Like you said, just just making excuses and covering it up mm-hmm. for him yep. became like just a natural part of it because you were valuing that relationship. That's the crazy part about it. Not really. I, I don't know if I... I, I well, what do you think it was then? Did you, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but did you not want to admit failure? I mean, what do you think I it think was? I think that's what it was. Didn't want to admit failure. Wanted to um, portray this, <laughs> this, this, this marriage with these two point five. And I guess what? I had a white picket fence. <laughs> you, you got the white picket fence. You finally had it. Right. But it was an illusion. And it was an illusion. And we had a dog. It wasn't a dog from the pound. It was just a, a, a junkyard dog. But, you know, so it was, an, it was an illusion. Yeah, you had the husband, the two kids, mm-hmm. a dog, and the white picket fence. Yep. And, you, and you didn't want the world to know that exactly. that wasn't what it, was, what it mm-hmm. looked like. Right. Dr. Angela says some women in abusive relationships blame themselves. You talk about a variety of opinions around, you know, whether you can just do bad all by yourself or whether you should stay and stick it out no matter how hard it's getting. And we heard from our guest, Ariane Kirkpatrick. She went through what, as you say, she described as a really dark period. She went through this very dark period where there was some kind of abuse. It dimmed her spark. And so one of the things that I think is so important for Black women, whether it be emotional or physical or sexual abuse is understanding it is not your fault. And what becomes important is making sure you are safe. Women who are abused stay longer. Many of them leave and come back, leave and come back. It can take six or more times before one says, I'm gone for good and takes the action to be gone for good. So if anybody's listening, do not blame yourself. It is not your fault. And the idea is not to try to figure out why this person is abusive to you. 
the idea is for you to be safe. And if you have children, for your children to be safe as well. Dr. Angela says that if you or a loved one aren't feeling safe at home, there is help out there. Check out the websites and phone numbers in the episode description. Love can be our safe place, and in its purest form, it helps us to become the best version of ourselves. It helps us see the world as a brighter place, and it inspires us to appreciate another person in a near divine way. Chi-Chi, our researcher, has found love and is getting married. Congrats, Chi-Chi, and don't we all love a wedding? Her fiancé, Tommy, is very proud that she's an accomplished Black woman. So what is your favorite thing about Chi-Chi? Well, you know, one of my favorite things about her is that she always provides clarity. She's like the lighthouse to my mental fog. Like, she just, she clears out everything, puts it in a different perspective that I wouldn't have seen. So never the favorite thing about Chi-Chi is, you know, she's fun. I mean, it's just it's just really easy to love Chi-Chi. Her success is my success. So whenever I can jump in and help, even if it's running around, doing every, anything else, I, that's how I show my love because I want her to be great. I want her to be successful. It makes me cry because I'm, I'm, I'm so, uh, so lucky. God really blessed me uh, with a partner that is just the most base level supportive individual that I could ever even think of. What I had prayed to God for was what I received is so far over my blessing um, and over my prayer that I did. You found black love. Oh, yes. And I have black love. You do. And it's a beautiful thing. I'm just thrilled. I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled to be sharing my life with somebody that can teach me about my own Blackness um, and wants to instill, you know, Nigerian culture into our future children. Both of us come from very pro-Black, Blackity-Black-Black families. <laughs> so I just already know I'm going to have my little Angela Davises and <laughs> my little Stokely Carmichaels. And I'm just, I'm thrilled about it. And they're going to Howard. They're going to Howard. <laughs> I put it on wax. They're going to Howard. So... Chi-Chi and Tommy are a beautiful couple and lucky to have found each other right here in Cleveland. I'm lucky too, because I have a strong, supportive husband in my life who celebrates my successes. He's a huge fan of the podcast. My husband, Daryl, shows me how he feels with little special things he does for me on a daily basis. Hello, my name is Daryl A. Taylor Sr. What I love about Marlene the most is that she's a very good cook. Not because I say so, but because everyone else agrees that she's a fantastic cook. Every morning, I fix breakfast in bed for Marlene, after which I turn the car around so that all she has to do is get in the car and drive to work. But before she does that, I kiss her goodbye because I love to see her smile. Thanks, honey. They say it's the little things that count. When the world is getting you down, having someone at home to vent to, to help relieve some stress, and maybe even give you a foot rub if you're lucky, can help you get through life. Dr. Angela says it's so important to celebrate Black love. 
it is so important for us to hear this because society would have us believe that it's non-existent or it's an outlier. And across generations, we have people living Black love on a daily basis. Life is hard. And boy, there are a number of people out there who would like to take a axe and a chainsaw and a pick to Black women's dreams. And to have that Black man in your corner gives you that little bit of hope that makes you stand firm. Is there anything better than Black love? You know, when I go into uh, barber shops and then when I go into, you know, to, to the hairdresser, you know, again, you think of them as outliers, but there's always a picture of Barack and Michelle. I love looking at those pictures of older Black couples and you can see them looking at each other with love. You know, my parents were married 58 years. There's a picture in my house of them, their 50th wedding anniversary. And, you know, you know that they love each other as much as they did on that very first day that they got married. Romantic love is powerful, but this podcast, Living For We, is about more than that. Living For We celebrates the special support that Black women provide each other, especially in a place like Cleveland, where life can be so rough. Well, let's end this conversation on love. We're talking about relationships. I'm not talking about lover. Yeah. Love. I'm talking about friendship love. Mm. Because when we talk about Black women, I think that's something that we really have. Black women have the backs of other Black women. This does not mean that we all get along at all points in time, but that means that dirty laundry is washed within the house. And I think the key and the most important thing, and to be quite honest, what I feel a lot of other groups are envious about for Black women is that we have a sense of community that I don't have to explain to you, Marlene. You know, the night before you go get your hair done, you're like, <sighs> it's like Christmas. Right, right. I don't have to explain that to you. Right. I don't have to explain sitting between your mom's knees and getting your hair parted. Didn't you greet your scalp grease? Come on. <laughs> the kind of love and care. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if you experienced the hot comb touching the ear, though. Did um, you know that? Are you joking? <laughs> My left earlobe? <laughs> what? <laughs> Every Easter. So, Every Easter. Every Easter. Hot stove. So I'm so blessed that God decided to make me a black woman, that God decided to make me a dark-skinned black woman, that God decided to make me an African black woman, because I'm so rooted in just blackness in a way that I can't run from and therefore I embrace. As a Black woman, I can tell you that for so many of us, it's other Black women who lift us up. That strong and powerful bond of sisterhood keeps us going. From our girlfriend group chats to the love that's present in our churches, sororities, women's groups, and families. Black women know what's best for other Black women how best to solve our own problems, and how to show up for each other. 
To me, I think living for we encapsulates the idea of caring about your community as well as yourself. The sister friend. You see them struggling, girl, I got a little piece of change. I'm about to send this to you, okay? Don't worry about it. Can I send my kids over? Girl, yeah, bring the kids over. I got you. You know, the person who maybe can do your hair. Sisters in relationship, if not in fact. I have found myself on jobs in which I thought I was the only black woman. And then, oh, I see another black woman and I look at her, she look at me and we kind of like give that nod like, okay, I see you sister. Though there may be limited spaces, it does not mean we have to compete to become successful. It does not mean that we have to tear each other down when I tell my girls at Queen I Am is that I can shine, you can shine, we can shine together. You don't have to dim my light so you can shine too. Being there for one another, particularly when it's not convenient or when you're not going to get anything in return. I love our taste in music, movies, entertainment, style, fashion, lingo, our shared experience of being Black, you know, of grandma or mama saying something funny or disciplinary that other, other people can relate to because their mom said the same thing. I love Black women's sense of style. Sometimes I just sit up here and like, what are we doing today? The colors, eyelashes, the makeup. Our ability to see beauty in so many different ways, that ability is usually framed as resilience. If we can view that resilience outside of the struggle, we could recognize it as an inheritance. Yeah, I think we're magical. I just think that there's something about us that we just, we get each other. We understand each other and the life that we are experiencing like we just it's just something that we get and that some things don't even need to be said but you're like I get you I know you I understand I love that I am black and that I'm a woman I know I wouldn't want to be anything else in our journey towards making Cleveland a more livable city for black women there's a current of hope for ourselves for our families, and maybe most importantly, for young Black girls growing up in Cleveland right now. Do you remember the young girls we featured from the Queen I Am program? They're learning how to love themselves early and preparing to fearlessly lead us into the future, no matter what forces they may be up against. We need to be more confident and show our emotions because we should do that. Because we should be confident in ourselves and know how to believe in ourselves. We shouldn't let somebody just bully us or, or try to say, say that, oh, you can't do this or you can't do that. That's not right. You need to stand up for yourself and believe. That is not your parents. That is not your sister and brothers. Just don't worry about them, okay? If we come together, we can actually inspire younger Black girls. Don't forget about the little ones that are watching us. They are looking for examples for how and what to be the positive way. As a Black woman, a daughter, a mother, as a sister, as a partner, it's like, all right, here we go. All right, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm let ready. Let me get myself together. I'm Look, ready. Okay, let me get myself together. I got together. the armor back on again. <laughs> I'm ready now. <laughs> Though the task may be daunting, we must make Cleveland a better place for us. And the love of Black women for Black women is our greatest hope. Kindness, 
is for all. Work together, even if we're small. My name is Nori, and my name is Kayla. And we love all of y'all. Y'all is the best. And yeah, thank you for recording us. Bye. In our next episode, of course, I thought of you immediately <laughs> to be a part of the podcast. And lucky for us, you said yes. I don't remember saying yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is so funny. <laughs> a behind-the-scenes look at Living for We, hosted by our creative director, Hey Fran Hey. Thanks for joining us for this season of Living for We. The team is incredibly grateful for all of the support and enthusiasm we've received over the past six months. We also have to thank each and every Black woman who took the time to share their story with us. We couldn't have done it without you. You can continue to listen and share our episodes at ideastream.org slash livingforwe and wherever you get your podcasts. We're so sad to say goodbye for now. But in the meantime, we would still love to hear your thoughts on the season and what you'd like to hear next. Our number is 216-223-8312. That's 216-223-8312. If you're enjoying this season of Living for We, why not consider a gift of support to IdeaStream Public Media? Donate now at ideastream.org slash donate. And be sure to mention that your contribution is in support of Living for We. Living for We is part of the Connecting the Dots Between Race and Health initiative from IdeaStream Public Media, produced by Evergreen Podcasts, and made possible by generous support from the Dr. Donald J. Goodman and Ruth Weber Goodman Philanthropic Fund of the Cleveland Foundation. The Living for We team includes myself, Marlene Harris-Taylor, host and executive producer, Hannah Ray Leach as our lead producer, and Hey Fran Hey as producer and creative director. Chichi and Kimra and Bethany Studenik of Enlightened Solutions are our researchers, data analysts, and community partners. We get production help from Stephanie Chekolinski. Original music, including our theme song, is by Cleveland artist Afis Gruggs. Our mix engineer is Sean Rule Hoffman. We'll see you next time.